Hey, Kate. Yeah? Do we give legal advice on this podcast? Oh, gosh, no. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, inappropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hello, welcome to Hostile Work Environment. My name is Mark Alifans. I am here, as always, with Kate Bischoff. How are you, Kate? Well, all things considered, I'm doing pretty good, I think. How about you? How is Portland? Yeah, so we thought we'd talk a little bit about Portland, the the cesspool of violence and burning and destruction of America. No, everything here is really just fine. The mm -hmm. don't listen to everything you hear. Uh, don't take videos out of context. What we really have here is a two or three block radius of downtown that has been graffitied. So when it looks like destruction, there's graffiti on federal buildings. And then we have largely, almost entirely peaceful protesters on a nightly basis. Mm -hmm. And at some point, the police, the federal police that are now here, get tired of that. And even though they haven't changed anything that they're doing, they start wanting to push them back and maybe they just want to go to bed. So they start firing tear gas and flash bombs and pepper spray and try to disperse the, the protesting crowds. And the irony of all of this, of course, is that, yes, we're in Portland, the People's Republic of Portland. And yes, there have been over 50 nights of consecutive protests uh, mm -hmm. as a result of George Floyd's death and, and many other unfortunate deaths. Uh, to protest police violence, uh, those protests had waned almost to nothing. Mm -hmm. And then, then the Fed showed up and now, and started using more violent tactics against the protesters. And now the protests have swelled again because the police are pretty much proving their point. Exactly. And, and the Feds are here as a political point and nothing more. So anyway, we're all fine here. Good. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't get downtown very often, but, you know, it's an interesting that's going on. It's interesting to have everybody and family and friends who, who don't know Portland well reaching out and being like, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, we're all, we're really, we're fine, mm -hmm. except for the people who, who are bold enough uh, to be out there protesting on the front lines in the evenings uh, and subjecting themselves to tear gas. Yes, so. you know that would be me, right? You know, I'd be in a yellow shirt for sure. I'd be there. I do. I do know that. <laughs> I'd be there. And we may all get our opportunity in all of our various cities here uh, if this doesn't continue to help the administration's uh, polling. So yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You'll always get what we really think on this podcast, and that's, <laughs> that's what that I really definitely think. Definitely it, yeah. So we are here to talk about, and, and we may come back to some of that, that protest uh, situation a little further in if we remember to later on in the discussion. Uh, but we are going to have a bit of an episode today about social media and the workplace. Yeah. And we thought, thanks to our friend, a uh, good friend of the podcast, Gene Hobbs, who, who has been pushing us to do this, we thought this was actually a really nice fit for a theme that we wanted to talk about. He has brought to us, uh, not that we hadn't seen some of it anyway information about the med hashtag med bikini uproar on twitter kate can you fill us in a little bit on the background of what's going on here sure in december of 2019 a 
medical journal, the Journal of Vascular something, something, something. The Journal of Vascular Surgery. Oh, okay. D journal of Vascular Surgery published. I, I, you, I get it. I get it every month. I don't know about you. <laughs> I definitely don't. You know, I'm stuck on the ins and outs of discipline. That is where I am. I'm my geeking. The ins and outs of discipline journal. We, yeah. I, we, we, could, we could make a journal. <laughs> we totally could. It'd be super fun. People got fired for this this month. Mm -hmm. yeah. I like it. I like yeah. it. You can charge a lot for those journals too. We could make <laughs> we could make bank on that. Okay, another stream of revenue. Here we yes. go. So in December of because 2019... we get a, we get a huge stream of revenue from this podcast. <laughs> Let's be very clear about that. Yes, exactly. uh, the the hugely negative stream of revenue that we get on this podcast. Anyway, yes. So they published a piece about how when vascular surgeons in particular and their residents and fellows post on social media things like drinking alcohol being in a bikini on a beach that that could negatively impact patients wanting them to be their doctors and they did that they cited a 2012 study that had only 235 like they only looked at 235 accounts and they make this broad pronunciation that you should never post pictures of yourself in a bikini or drinking alcohol, which is silly. And import of the study is that, you know, this negatively impacts women on a much greater scale because it's literally med bikini. And we sh as doctors should be able to post pictures of ourselves being human, which in the cultural norms, wearing a bikini is being human and there should be nothing wrong with that in theory. Great. And I'll, I'll admit I was doing a little research on this and my wife came in and she's like, uh-huh, sure you're working. And I'm like, no, no, really like read about it. It's a real thing. You know, one of the things that the study had noted was that inappropriate attire included pictures in underwear, provocative Halloween costumes and provocative posings, uh, posing in bikinis and swimwear. You know, and the backlash here has been for all sorts of women and some men in the mm -hmm. medical profession to be posting pictures of themselves in their swim trunks uh, mm -hmm. and bikinis and uh, showing, you know, this is normal. Normal people do this and you're not going to shame us for, mm -hmm. for, for doing normal things that normal people do that are totally acceptable to put on social media. Absolutely. So the backlash has been swift. Well, maybe not so swift if this came out in December, but I think it's been noticed. And then yes. once noticed, it has created quite the uproar over the last few days. The journal did come out and issue an apology yesterday. Mm -hmm. So we're recording this on Sunday. This was on Saturday. Editors Peter Glovitsky and Peter Lawrence, the two Peters, said uh, that while editors of the journal believe that the authors of the paper were, quote, attempting to advise young vascular surgeons about the risks of social media, the review process failed to identify the errors in the design of the study with regards to conscious and unconscious bias, and thus the paper was interpreted as broadening, broadening inequalities in surgery. Absolutely. Like, as the two Peters, and I, and you can make whatever Peter joke you want to make about You noticed that I paused when I said that because mm -hmm. I hadn't thought of that joke until I was reading mm -hmm. it, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Peters. Mm -hmm. The two Peters. That is something that is an unconscious bias of themselves to read that and not see that that's a potential problem 
for women, that this has that kind of unconscious bias. And so that's why if you have two heaters, maybe you add a Pauline, maybe you add a, a Paulina, a Petra, uh, you know, some diversity on the people who read that to, because I would notice that right away. Well, but, and, and, and let's, 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 let's ratchet that up just a notch here. So there's claims of stalking associated with this too, because <laughs> the researchers who, who researched this for the study all created fake online profiles to go after not go after, but to do their research mm -hmm. into various applicants who are vascular for a vascular surgeon program or whatever it was. And the three, SH was a 33-year-old male vascular fellow who performed searches on Facebook and Instagram. TC was a 28-year-old male research coordinator and medical school applicant who searched Facebook and Twitter. And SR was a 37-year-old male medical student who searched Twitter and Instagram. So the people mm -hmm. conducting this all, all male, all creating fake accounts on Facebook and Instagram, just a little creepy. And certainly, sure. to your point, very uh, homogenous in terms yeah. of gender. Yeah, yeah. So again, the importance here. Now, I don't want to give people the impression that what you post on social media doesn't impact your work because it absolutely does. Just a couple of weeks ago, I beat my own personal record of firing people for racist rants on social media. And because that absolutely will affect your workplace. But there also is a line of which a employer gets to decide what that line is as to what they're going to say is acceptable and not acceptable. Simply wearing a bikini on a beach, having a pina colada is likely to be acceptable. Posting pictures of yourself in your underwear, probably not acceptable. So while this study shows this great problem with bias, there's still value in understanding that what you do on social media could affect your job. And from a legal perspective, if you fire somebody for wearing that bikini, on social media, legal or illegal, barring any other indicia of discrimination? Probably legal. Probably if, legal. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to fire every man in a banana hammock. Right. Uh, too. But as a yeah. right, because if you only fire bikini shots, then you're obviously going to have some disparate impact mm -hmm. for what's otherwise, I guess, a neutral policy. <laughs> you know, no, no bikinis. I guess that's neutral. Like, <laughs> I guess if the men are, are wearing a bikini, they'll be fired too, but it's going to have obviously a disparate impact. Mm -hmm. So you want to, you know, so, so, so there's that to, on the, just on the purely legal side, you know, there's that to be cautious about. And yes, you know, some of the things that they were talking about in the study are problems, you know, of mm -hmm. drug use or, you know, again, having your glass of wine with dinner looks a little different than, you know, showing a picture of a table with, you know, 50 beer bottles and, and yes. the bong sitting in the middle of it and with or without people in it, like, you know, yes. that's going to be held to a different kind of, should be held to a different kind of standard by employers. If they, if they don't like that and want to fire you for it, they can't. Right. That's okay. Well, Even if right. it's otherwise legal activity, they still can. Well, they still can if it's going to affect the workplace. 
I mean, there are plenty of states with lawful consumable statutes where that could be evidence of that they were off duty and that's fine. But doing a keg stand in a company t-shirt, that can get you terminated. That's going to be a problem. Yeah. There we go. There's Uh, that one. For you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's like a Mothers Against Drunk Driving t-shirt. Like that would be, that, that doesn't go along. I don't care if you had a DD that still was not along our mission right well and obviously the more the more the conduct relates to a particular company mission or runs counter to that mission the more likely it is that it should and could and would have an impact on your employment yeah so absolutely so i it'll be interesting interesting to see how and if this plays out in any further ways uh in in the meantime enjoy the bikini photos on the hashtag (laughs) Uh, if that's if that's your thing well, let me it's say that. there, and the men who've posted pictures of themselves in their swimsuits, it's absolutely adorable. Not because it appears adorable, but it's standing in solidarity with all the women, and that is what I applaud, and I think that's great. And there's one guy who is, like, clearly embarrassed that he's in a swimsuit, and he's posting his picture. He's like, don't mind the dad bod. Like, I, I saw mean, that they, one, too. Yeah. Said, that one's my favorite. So, like, great. Thank you, guys. You also wrote an article about this sort of issue, not not the med bikini issue, but about about you know what you should be looking at or shouldn't be looking at for new applicants or employees in terms of their online presence. You wrote that for ERE this past week. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your article. So I get a lot of questions about whether or not recruiters should be googling candidates or not, and there's. Uh, I would say 90% of people in our profession believe that you shouldn't be Googling candidates. And so there's a very few of us out there who are saying, yeah, do it. Um, I have rules for Googling candidates, though. Like before you even see a resume, you should know what's going to disqualify somebody. So, for example, for me, racism is going to disqualify someone. Misogyny is going to to disqualify someone. Um, Being very contrary to what we do would be another thing like i don't believe in this kind of mission or that kind of stuff like showing like being contrary to what our values of an organization are would be another one but then once you have those you know and you get to your top five candidates you have human somebody in human resources do the search they don't want a hiring manager seeing a bunch of protected class information that they might not be privy to otherwise but hr is generally trained better on how to avoid the bias that comes along with that and they can just you know like a lot of background checks, they can just red, yellow, green somebody. And then, uh, so you're doing it late in the process, you're doing it with HR, and then I want you to ask a candidate about it. And the reason I want you to ask a candidate about it is, one, you're flagging that this is a problem, so maybe you want to delete these posts. Um, but two, it's, we want to verify that it's you. We want to verify that you, if you have a response to what this is, like if you had learned from your past, or what you've done to try to combat that kind of activity again. And particularly when it comes to things like a racist post, or uh, and I give a couple examples. One would be Amy Cooper, which while it wasn't necessarily a social media post for her, it certainly went viral on social media. Um, and so- and Plenty of articles there that you can, you can find <laughs> out. If, if, if you get, a, you know, if you get mm-hmm. an application from Amy Cooper and you Google, you're gonna come up with some stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Make sure it's the right Amy Cooper, though. Cooper, right. Or the wrong, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> Not that Amy Cooper. Yeah. 
So I, I want you to ask the candidate because you're going to hear a bunch of responses from them, whether it is, oh my God, I didn't think you would be looking at my social media. Well, that's a red flag, right? Because that is a, you know, we want to make sure that we're doing our due diligence before we hire somebody. And if we're doing it ourselves, we don't get into FICRA problems. Um, you know, that's okay for us to do it. Another is, well, that's not me. Okay, well, how is it not you? Like, did you get hacked? You know, what, it, can you show me what your account is if you have a different one? Because this looks like it's you based upon what we found, et cetera. But then there's the, you know what, I recognize that that, that I, did something wrong there and here's what I've done to learn how not to do that and here's where I intend to grow from this or I have grown from this and then you can also supplement with as an employer say this is the other additional development we want you to do we're going to have you go through these trainings etc that's really the only acceptable answer yeah I mean allow for the opportunity for redemption but you can assess that is it true redemption have they really learned something or are they just mm -hmm. trying to get a job right because, you know, when I, I know that when I am going to hire someone to do something on my house or I'm going to be looking at a due to investment with a new organization of some sort, I do Google them to see where they are. And, you know, I wouldn't buy uh, unless the like, for example, Red Bull just announced that they are letting their CEO go for some bad behavior. So it, I might not go buy Red Bull for a while until that's been redeemed. I didn't buy Under Armour. For a bit until that was redeemed and so you know using your pocketbook to enforce your values is something that i don't think is very uncommon and so you know if i'm a business and i'm going to put a salesperson out there in the role i'm going to have a vp or i'm going to have a you know another employee they're they, people might google us and that's one that they're going to be fine or that's what they're going to find and i don't want that to be a negative for my business agreed and I, you know i i i thought it was great article i have a couple couple of additional comments that i would i would add to it or just a couple of cautions as well mm -hmm. um and you do mention this in in the article i i would set up a shield so you say 90 percent of of people aren't into googling their applicants uh and there's a reason because you know they're afraid that some form of protected class or other information could be learned that way that then then can come back to bite you later in terms of a discrimination claim. And, and that was always kind of what put me off of doing Googling. But, you know, if you have the resources, setting up a shield effectively mm -hmm. so that any decision maker doesn't, doesn't get that information. So you would suggest having HR do it, whether it's HR or a specific person designated uh, to do the social media background uh, checks for applicants, they can then have their set of very objective criteria, racist posts, well, you know, you, you went through a great list, and report back on, only on that information without revealing other potential things like, oh, I found out that this applicant only has one leg, right? Like, <laughs> you don't want them to tell you that. I think that, you're going right? to find you, that out, but right? true. <laughs> I mean, you'll find it out, but when and where and how, right? Again, yeah. again there are things that you can learn you can, in particular, things that wouldn't be visible, like religion or yeah, like or this other, person goes you know, to this mosque, right? Right. Yeah. And and you want to protect yourself against having that knowledge as a decision maker, so that you can't be perceived as having made the decision based on that information, as opposed to, yeah, you know, the drug den photos, <laughs> right? Or the, you know, or the mm -hmm. racist post or whatever is is what's actually uh, causing us to say no to this individual. So. Right. 
Right. Uh, so setting up a little bit of a shield between the person doing the Googling and the person making the decision, uh, usually a pretty wise decision. The other mm -hmm. thing I, I, I thought kind of dovetailed into this conversation a little bit is around background checks. Because this is, in a, in a sense, it's a form of background check, although it's not about criminal background check, it's your social media background check. There are some things to be cautious about in terms of background checks and having blanket, any sort of blanket statement that says certain crimes will disqualify you from a certain job. Now, now you get into this and you speak about it uh, very well that, you know, you, we don't hire someone to be a butcher if the person killed a bunch of strangers with a knife, right? Yeah. So, so <laughs> for, for crimes that are related to a job, right, that's a good reason. But you're going to want to take, and the EEOC is very strict about this, you want to take an individualized assessment of any given situation rather than saying, you know, all knife crimes disqualify you from this job. <laughs> right, which right. can sound a little ridiculous, like having been in, in a, at a child care organization myself for, for years, you know, having, having a blanket rule that says, you know, we're not going to have murderers taking care of three-year-olds, right? Like, okay. I, obviously, we're not going to let anybody with that get through, but you can have other kinds of, of lesser crimes and things that we had a list of 40 or 50 crimes that were disqualifying. Uh, and and that can be a problem now. It wasn't you know it wasn't then, but the rules have changed, and and that can be a problem for disparate impact. But okay, but Mark, what if I only killed husbands and I didn't kill my children? Oh well, that I mean that <laughs> that's okay. You're hired. <laughs> no, come to my come yeah. to Mark's child care center. You only <laughs> killed husbands. None of these children are husbands. You're good to go. Yeah, exactly. Right, but but the real the real problem here is that in in the criminal justice systems there, there's racial bias, and the yeah. EEOC rightfully is trying to do their part to prevent that systematic racial bias from from becoming something that that uh, negatively impacts employment opportunities for for people of color uh, and uh, you know anybody who's more likely to have been convicted of a crime over time, and right. you know you can have especially in areas like passing a bad check, right? Mm -hmm. Probably you don't, you, you probably could be like, if you're, if you're a bank, you probably can get away with not having that uh, be okay. But if it's taking care of children, that there's lots of reasons why somebody passed a bad check, some of which are really bad and some of which aren't, but none of which really speak to taking care of children. Exactly. Well, right? and, the, and the, so the green factors are one, the nature of the offense. So murdering my spouse, for a child care facility, probably somewhat close, uh, closely related enough that it's a violent crime. Two, uh, the time has passed, how long it's right. been since I committed the murder or mm -hmm. I, when I was released from the murder, from my, the prison that I served, and then the nature of the job that goes along with it. So it's how, you know, it's that relationship of how close the job is to what uh, I did, right? So going back to Portland is if you see me in images being arrested by the, you know, Eric Prince's private military force that's there as the federal law enforcement. If you see me being arrested by them, how closely related is it to my job is going to be the question. And it's pretty recent. So that favors, you know, getting closer to not hiring me or not keeping me in the role. But how close is it to my job and what how does the business 
respond to that kind of activity. So, And how would you distinguish if that came up as you were convicted of a misdemeanor or felony and came up in a background check as opposed to I just happened to see you on the news last night as a, as a protester? I don't think my analysis necessarily changes. I think I go through the same kind of criteria of you were arrested as a protester protesting police brutality, but we are the police federation. Um, I'm going to have a problem with that, right? Yeah. Because the, well, the, those, those, the fraternal order or whatever, I, I'm going to, I probably will have a problem with that. Um, so this, the same kind of nature of the job, what you did, how long ago is still going to be the things that I'm going to think about. I think that's fair. One thing to call out from that, uh, just if you're purely on the background check side for criminal background checks, arrest records, not something you can take into account. True. Only convictions. So just be aware of that as well. True, but if you, I made the news, it doesn't matter. There could be other reasons why, but the arrest record itself, is that what, if that's what caused you to learn about it when you yeah. did your background check, you, you know, it'd be like, mm, yeah, they weren't convicted of it. So, <laughs> right. You know, and, and I, there are states like Wisconsin that, you know, arrest records is a category of itself for protected class status. Yeah, having, having done that in 50 states and seeing, seeing or seeing background checks come back they're all every state municipality federal local they're all different and they give you different kinds of information they use different terms and it can be a real mess but what you're really looking for is were they convicted of something right right mm-hmm. all right so along these similar a little bit different but similar lines in our social media extravaganza today <laughs> the national labor relations board came out a bit of a bombshell, though maybe less of one having, having both of us having talked about it a little bit and kind of looked at it, maybe less of one than it's being advertised as, yeah. uh, came out with, uh, nonetheless, a bombshell new case uh, <laughs> that is viewed as a huge win for employers when it comes to uh, disciplining or firing uh, employees who are engaging in otherwise protected or concerted activity under the National Labor Relations Act. So, Kate, now, anytime any employee who's in a union or, or otherwise has protections under Section 7 comes and calls you an M or Fer, <laughs> you can just fire them, right? I was them, wondering right? how you were going to handle that. Um, I handled okay. it well. <laughs> well, I was going to say, are we going to give the explicit warning at this point in time? Because I, I feel more comfortable just saying the words than M Fer. So, I was mostly trying to get you to laugh. But yeah, <laughs> no. Uh, if they come up to you at work and call you a motherfucker, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. you can just fire them now, right? Well, you can, provided that you fired everyone else for motherfucker. Right. Any, anybody and everybody else who ever called somebody uh, that you were aware of a motherfucker of. At, yeah. at work or, or in similar circumstances, so long as you did that or did it from a specific point going forward when you set a policy, mm-hmm. uh, you're good to go. Right. And Huge so, win, right? I don't think so. I really don't think so. And it, he, here's why. The, this decision comes on the a couple years ago heels of this case called Triple Play, where there was a union campaign going on. They really hated their supervisor. person went on social media, said, the supervisor is really awful, called him a motherfucker, and then said, vote yes for the union. Th- that was essentially the post. I'm sure I'm getting it wrong in some part, but that's essentially the post. And at that time, the Obama NLRB held that there's union activity here. It's protected. You have to rehire these people. 
And it's it's almost impossible to take those two those things two and things separate apart. them and say say we did it only because of of the motherfucker part, not because of the vote union part. How how can you could you separate those two things out? Is kind of the Obama board interpretation of that, and so so that allowed for a lot of pretty egregious conduct mm -hmm. to be deemed okay. Right, and that included things that we would never want in our workplace. I mean, that would include things like racist behavior on on a picket line that was deemed to be concerted activity protected by the NLRB, but would be in violation of Title VII had that person had any kind of supervisory authority, right? So, like, or could create a hostile work environment. So there was this clash between the NLRB and the EEOC about this kind of conduct. So what this board decided to do was to create kind of this two-part analysis, right? Like, one, that you find that there is concerted protected activity along with the vulgarity. But if you're the employer who would have fired anyone else and was consistent with how you treated vulgarity, well, then you don't lose this case because you've fired everyone else. It's a way of trying to say we did this any, we would have done this anyway, even without the protected concerted activity. And here's how we demonstrate it. We did it in this other circumstance where there wasn't any protected or concerted activity. And we did it mm -hmm. for the for same or, or similar conduct. Uh, we fired Joe for for saying the word motherfucker uh, just because he liked saying the word motherfucker over and over again. And we did that. And then in this case, it was said, you know, multiple times as well, <laughs> along with a vote union. And so it's OK. Uh, mm -hmm. so, but, you know, there's there's a risk here mm -hmm. that it actually encourages employers to fire more people for lesser things so that when somebody does it in the union context in a protected context, otherwise protected context, now they can fire everybody. But that means firing a whole lot of other people too. It's going to be a bit of a balancing act there for employers. And I'm not sure it's quite, quite the huge victory it's being portrayed as. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's the huge victory it's being portrayed as because as an employer, am I going to catch every motherfucker? No, I'm not. I'm just like, as a plain matter of fact, I'm not going to catch, nor am I going to take my best employee and fire them for this word at this point in time because they are my best employee. Just, I just don't think as a, from a practical standpoint, this is something where employers are like, oh, well, I just have to let them all go. It's similar to the the distribution and solicitation where, you know, you can't have the Girl Scouts selling cookies in your building, but, you know, you know that there's some person who's talking to her friend <laughs> right. about selling, like, so it, it makes it incredibly difficult to prove because all an employee would have to say is, in this situation, you might have fired me for saying this word, but look, I found one other example where you didn't fire that person. And it's just one other example they have to find and i think that's going to be really hard for an employer to police that every time no no where i do think it 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 does create a better circumstance for employers is to be able to hold contact conduct that you would take that kind of act against consistently such as racist or sexist yep. kind of behavior that should be effectively a zero tolerance on those issues and you would have fired people for that. And then if the protected activity contains those overtones directly or indirectly in the same or similar way as others, uh, and it's a policy violation that you've kind of treated consistently, yeah. you know, in the past, 
now that makes it easier for employers on 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 those kinds of 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 issues that you should have been consistently firing people for anyway. So yeah. if you've been doing that and for the same things that you say that you can fire or not hire somebody for in your social media posts, you know, for sexism or racism or or mm-hmm. discrimination against religion or or disability or whatever it is you happen to to say, if you were firing people for doing those things before, you can still fire you can now fire those people who are saying those things, but also having it intertwined with the protected activity for the union uh, and not have to worry about it. So in that sense, I do think it is, it does help. It makes, it yeah. makes those circumstances certainly easier. Right. And I think, I think even if we were, uh, if you and I were approached with this, somebody said the N word to a, uh, somebody who was crossing a picket line, I think you and I would both say, we got to let them go. Like even before this decision, we say it's risky, but I, for the betterment of, employee morale and productivity we would say get rid of them there's going to be a risk but we'd rather have them gone than be show that we're condoning this behavior exactly i'd rather have them gone than take and and take the grievance in the union situation and a possible reinstatement yeah under the board and but still show that we did what we should have done yeah exactly so i think this decision gives bolsters to those of us who would make that would advise that kind of call um but i it's the, the more extent- marginal ones that are yeah. just yeah. just just kind of on the misconduct side and and which is can be very subjective and yeah and difficult we're all treating people a little differently <laughs> based on it because there's so many circumstantial components to it that can make it like you know well let's say using your example right it's it's our best employee and they said motherfucker and you're like oh well it's cool cuz it's Sally and Sally's awesome as opposed to you know Joe said motherfucker and he's an average to poor performer and we fired him for it, <laughs> that's not going to make your time easy when it comes to firing somebody for saying those same words in an otherwise protected context. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, we went to law school. We learned that the law is black and white, but now we deal with people, and it makes it gray all the time. So, Oh, yeah, the law is totally gray. <laughs> Thou yeah. shall not murder, with the exceptions of blah, 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 blah. Right. What else? Uh, do you have anything else on your agenda today? No, I don't. I think we I think we're in good shape. I mean, I we still need more listener stories. So please send yeah. those in uh at hwepodcast at gmail dot com because we would love to have a good listener story for our next episode. Yeah, and, and I'm just gonna say I'm I'm gonna look at it here right now again real quick here, but I I made a plea for our good friend <laughs> episode seven. <laughs> that got overtaken by the lgbtq status decision by the right so it came out the same day as the as our bostock episode they happened to come out and bostock has 300 more downloads than than episode seven uh even though they came out on the same day so but that said if you know episode seven's great the bostock (laughs) decision episode special episode whatever episode eight also great if you had to listen to one i'd rather have you listen oh, to the bostock decision absolutely but... but we have a lot of people who listen to that we're pushing a, <laughs> you know we're pushing almost a thousand people on that uh, so, yeah. and and it's a little only it's only about five weeks ago uh but we're 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 only around 650 on the oh, on on episode seven episode which seven. just which is way lower than any other episode we've ever had and it's because of it's because of the other episodes so anyway uh that's probably way more attention than episode seven needs <laughs> But uh, go back and listen to episode seven if you're missing, if you missed that. You know, we're looking to find more listeners. So tell your friends, mm-hmm. colleagues, uh, 
folks at work, if, if, if they're in HR and they're looking for, for a couple of attorneys to talk about the more compliance side of, of, of HR in a way that, that hopefully is understandable and doesn't sound like a couple of lawyers talking about it, tell them to tune in. Uh, <laughs> Because uh, we're always looking to help more people. That's that's really the point. Not it's not just about our egos and download stats. I mean, it is a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Uh, but mostly, it's about you know helping helping all of you manage these situations better. Uh, and I'd much rather get the email from from one of you that says thank you for doing this. It's great <laughs> than like the you know if we had a Patreon, you know, here's some money. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I, I like both, but I like the first one more. Yeah. Well, Mark, where can they find you? So you can find me mostly these days on Twitter. I've been on a bit of a LinkedIn. Bleh. Um, I just, mm. I hate even logging in. It just, my feed is just so full of baloney at this point that I just, I, I just, I haven't I been very happy with LinkedIn, but I'm, I'm on there too. Mark Alifan's on LinkedIn, but on Twitter, I'm at salad pants and that's where I've been spending most of my time. And you can find the podcast at, at HWE podcast, although I don't tweet from that account all that often, uh, mostly just to promote new episodes. Uh, Kate, what about you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. I've been very busy on the LinkedIn recently, taking social justice action within HR at the very least there, but also, uh, I have my own website at Thrive Law Consulting. You can also find me on Twitter, both at K8BISCH or Rutabaga Squirt, which is a handle designed specifically to troll Mark. Yeah, you've got one follower now. I don't know if you, <laughs> if you saw that. Uh, you have one follower. And it, I think it was somebody who only followed one account, maybe two. It was like a brand new, like... Maybe not even an English-speaking account. I wasn't quite sure, but uh, uh, Rutabaga Scort <laughs> is doing is 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 not doing great in terms of the following, uh, but is doing a fantastic fantastic job of trolling trolling, trolling me uh, in a very kind and supportive way. <laughs> very meme heavy, yeah. Well, thanks, Mark. Thanks, listeners. Have a lovely day. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wear, Wear a mask. mask. <laughs> All right. Talk soon. Bye, everyone. <laughs>